We're grateful for your presence today. Thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. Thank you to Jared for leading our singing today, the scripture reading, and now as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be talking about how we have been saved to serve. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 in our lesson text. I do want to just very quickly say, again, to reiterate the fact that tomorrow night we will be meeting here at 5.30. Last Sunday night we had probably as many people as I have seen in some time at our focus team meeting. and That was a great night and we appreciate that. Monday night we had probably 70 or so who came and uh, did a number of different things and it might be you can't come every week, but listen, come when you can. We need your help and we want you to be a part of the work here. There are lots of opportunities. If you come Monday night, there are several different things that you can be involved in. And so we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Today in our lesson, we're going to be talking about how we have been saved to serve. Have you ever thought about how special you are as a child of God? You know, there are a lot of unique blessings that we enjoy in this life. There are a lot of accolades that may come our way in life. But if you're a child of God, you have to understand something. You are extremely blessed. You remember Peter said that those of us who belong to God, we are comprised of an elect race. He said we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then he said a people for God's own possession. We belong to God. Paul would say that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so the bottom line is this, we have been blessed immensely. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul points out that those of us who are in Christ, that we have been saved. But we have been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve Him, to live for Him day in and day out. So I want to begin today and I want to call attention to at least three things that stand out in this text. Number one, the Apostle Paul tells us that all who are outside of Christ are dead in sin. So what about the condition of a sinner? Well, listen to what Paul said in verse 1. He said, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And the idea is that all who are outside of Christ are in a lost condition. Now, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talk today about people being lost, separated from Almighty God. What is it that separates us from God or puts us in a lost condition? Sin, isn't it? Isn't that the case that Paul made in writing to the saints in Rome? When he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verse 1, Paul is talking about the Gentiles. That they had been dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 12, he said that they were without hope and without God in this world. You want to talk about a bleak outlook. To be lost in the eyes of Almighty God. You know, in Luke 15, Jesus presents a triad of parables. He talks about the parable of a lost sheep, 
the parable of the lost coin, and then the lost son. What's he trying to say there? What's the emphasis in Luke 15? It's about being lost. And how precious that one lost thing is in the eyes of the one who possesses it. And so with regard to the human family, Paul would say that we're all separated from God because of sin. So the idea of sin, and then the fact that because of sin, we're without hope and without God in this world. So what about the conduct of a sinner? Well, look at verse 2. In verse 2, Paul said, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience." Now note verse 3. "...among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." Paul now includes the Jews among those who were in a lost state. Paul here simply bringing to mind the fact that at one point in time in his life, he had been separated from God. And yet, through his obedience to the gospel, he was cleansed from all sin, wasn't he? But the idea here is that those who are lost are living in sin. Now, you know, there are a lot of people in the world today, they're living in sin, they're lost, but they don't know it. They have no idea that they are separated from Almighty God. And they throw around terms like spiritual. And they talk about being a part of God's family, but the bottom line is, number one, they don't know they're in sin. Number two, they don't even realize they're living in sin. Why is that? Because they don't know what the Bible teaches. We live in a day and time when many people, quite frankly, have little or no knowledge of the Word of God. I mean, you think about, think about our nation as a whole. There are things that take place in our nation on a daily basis that many of us would never have dreamed of. We would never have even entertained the thought of some things transpiring in this country. And so there are a lot of folks in our, in our country, in the world, they think they know what God says, but in reality they don't. Do you remember what Hosea said indicting the children of Israel? He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So one of the responsibilities that we have is to enlighten people about the hope that's in Christ. And the fact that they can escape a life of sin. Now Paul said that they fulfilled the lust of the flesh, where? In the mind. Satan attacks the mind, doesn't he? Wasn't it Jesus who said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? So John, in 1 John chapter 2, talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so... This idea of satisfying the flesh, the mind. Well, the devil, in many cases, preys upon our lust, doesn't he? Now, there's a second thing I want to call your attention to in our study. First, we talk about the fact that Paul tells us 
about being dead in sin. But then the second thing, that we can be delivered by or through the Savior. So let me ask this question. What's the basis of our salvation? In other words, what was it that prompted God to reach out to us as members of the human family? Well, Paul tells us. There are really two pillars upon which Christianity stands. Number one, we talk about the marvelous love of Almighty God. Listen now to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, now note, for the great love wherewith He loved us. Listen, we would not have the opportunity to be saved were it not for the love of Almighty God. Now we can read about the love of God, and we are appreciative of that fact, but to understand that God demonstrated, manifested His love toward us in the sending of Jesus, didn't He? So, the love of God, back in John chapter 3, verse 16, what we call the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you remember what John said in 1 John 4, verse 8, talking about the character and nature of God? John said, God is love. God would never have reached out to us as the crown of His creation had He not loved us. John would say here in his love, not that we love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, it's through Jesus that we have ample covering for sin. We can be cleansed from sin, covered from our past sins. So the love of God. And not just God's love, but also His grace. Look again at Ephesians chapter 2. Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. I want to just pause here for a moment or two before I go on. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15 you have the announcement of the promised seed. God had a plan in place to redeem the crown of His creation before He ever laid the foundation of the world, before He ever created us. Well, why then did God devise a plan? Well, number one, God in creating man, endowing him with the ability to make choices in life, recognized at some point in time man would make a fatal choice, thereby bringing sin into the world, thus standing in need of redemption. But God would never have put that plan in place if He didn't love us, would He? Never would He have done that were it not for the fact that He is a merciful being, a gracious being. So Paul says in verse 5, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and then, parenthetically he says, By grace are you saved. Now drop down, look at verse, look at, at verse 7. Paul said that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Three times in these verses, 
Paul accentuates the grace of Almighty God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Is there anything that we could ever do to earn our salvation? Absolutely not. Well, what about God's grace? I mentioned Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 a minute ago. Genesis 3, 15 and the announcement of the promised seed, the unveiling of His redemptive plan as it began there. That was a manifestation of His grace. In Genesis 6, when God spared Noah, you remember God said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That wasn't the first time that God demonstrated grace toward the human family. First time the word's used. But the idea is found back in Genesis chapter 3. So without the grace of God, we would be lost, wouldn't we? The unmerited favor of Almighty God, God intervening on our behalf to save us. And Paul said, even when we were dead in sin, dead in trespasses, He's made us alive together with Christ. Now back in Ephesians chapter 1, you remember Paul said, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He's made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of what? Of His grace. Paul knew something about the riches of God's grace. When's the last time you thank God for the riches of His grace? When's the last time that you stopped, thought about your relationship to God and expressed thanksgiving for what He has done on your behalf? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? That God who spared not His own Son but freely delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him freely give us all things? Listen, it's because of Christ and His atoning work on Calvary that we have the hope of redemption. So we talk about the basis of our salvation. Well, number one, His marvelous love. Number two, His matchless grace. But then there's a second thought. That has to do with our blessings. Well, we talk about the basis of salvation, but what about the blessings of our salvation? The blessings that we enjoy in Christ. Well, number one, you need to understand that in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of Christ. Again, look at Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. It cost Jesus Christ His blood to redeem you, to redeem me. You want to talk about special in the eyes of God? Do you think God would have given His Son on Calvary? Had He not seen something in you, in me, that was valuable? What is it that makes me so valuable in the eyes of God? I'm the crown of His creation, as are you. I have an eternal soul residing in this physical body, as do you. And God said, that's worth something to me. God said, your soul is worth everything to me. So Jesus went to Calvary. When Paul said, in Him, that's in Christ. And Jesus is the person of salvation. You can go back and read the book of John. In the book of John, it's almost as if God has a neon sign saying to the world, this is my beloved Son. You remember what John 1, 14 says? 
The Word became flesh, and John said, We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul said He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This was God in the flesh. And Jesus came to redeem us, to pay the price for sin. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, that we've been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You want to know how special you are? Jesus shed His precious blood for you. If that doesn't awaken you to what God thinks about you, I don't know what will. So we talk about the fact that we are redeemed in Christ. I would also add the fact that we are reconciled in Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would say, Be reconciled to God. Through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with God, to be in fellowship with deity. Matter of fact, John makes that abundantly clear in 1 John chapter 1. He said, That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the idea. And Jesus, you remember, functions as our mediator. Paul said there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And what did he do? Gave himself a ransom for all. So to understand something about the fact that Jesus redeemed us. And then, I mentioned a moment ago, our riches in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you're a child of God, you're wealthy. I don't care what your bank account says. Don't care how much land you have or don't have. Doesn't matter how much, how many stocks and bonds you've accumulated over the years. Doesn't matter what type of automobile you drive. The fact of the matter is, if you are in Christ, you are rich. You've got everything. Now look again at what Paul said. Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me ask this question. When did God raise us up? When we were baptized into Christ. You remember when you obeyed the gospel... One of the prerequisites was to repent of sin. Repentance begins in the mind, doesn't it? It involves a change of mind, followed by a change in lifestyle. In other words, Paul is writing to people that at one time had lived according to the flesh. But now, he said, you're in Christ. Well, why? Because you've been raised to walk in a new way of life. You're not who you used to be. You belong to God. You're a child of the living God. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. You have all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Yes, you're rich. Paul, I think, deemed himself as rich. Maybe it's the case that we bought so much into the material world that we fail to see the spiritual side of things. We place more value on our material wealth than spiritual wealth. Jesus said, you can, lay up, you can lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but you've got to understand those things are temporary. 
What you need to do is be, you need to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you. That has to do with the duty of a saint. So Paul is writing to people who have obeyed the gospel. He's writing to Christians, isn't he? He told them back in Ephesians 1-3 that they enjoyed all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So with that in mind, look at verse 10. In verse 10, Paul said, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. So number one, what Paul is saying is, we are God's workmanship. What does that mean? When Paul said that we are the workmanship of God, what is he trying to, to convey to us? The word workmanship. That term means a masterpiece. We get our word in the English poetry. And I think what Paul is saying is that as a child of God, you are God's work of art. You are God's masterpiece. Well, when did all that take place? Well, there was a transformation that occurred, wasn't there? Listen again to what Paul said. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Back in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, remember what God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness? The agent who made the world was whom? It was Christ. The Godhead was involved in our physical creation. The, God, the Godhead was involved in placing within our body an eternal soul, that inward spirit. But not only did God create us in the physical realm, the Bible says that God is responsible for creating us in the spiritual realm. Listen again. We're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Go back and look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you became a child of God, you were the product of a spiritual transformation, weren't you? And not just a transformation, but a translation. Paul said that God delivered you out of the power of darkness, translated you into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So now you belong to God. You're a part of His created world in the spiritual realm. Now there are a lot of folks in our world today would love the opportunity to just start over. You ever talk to people that they look back over their past and they think about all their mistakes and all the things that, that they, well, they think about all the things that they have been involved in that they wish they hadn't. There are lots of people in our world today, they have nuked their own personal lives. They've made bad decision after bad decision. 
They have gotten themselves knee-deep in a lifestyle that they wish they could somehow extract themselves from, but they can't. I mean, they got all kinds of problems. And yet what the Bible says is, doesn't matter how deep you are in sin, if you will hear and obey the gospel of Christ, you can be a changed person. God will change you. And then Paul said in Romans chapter 12, we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. As transformed people, we think differently, we act differently, we live differently, and so on. But now there's another part of what Paul is saying. First, we are the workmanship of God. But then secondly, Paul said we are the workmen of God. Note again what he says. We're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul, what are you saying? Well, you remember he talked about how a transformation occurred in Christ. Now he's talking about our obligations in Christ. Oh, you mean to tell me we have obligations in Christ? Paul said that God has created us for a purpose. What's that purpose? To engage in good works. When you think about Jesus, and just think for a minute about His three, three and a half year ministry on earth, is there anything that really stands out in your mind about what Jesus accomplished that set Him apart from all other people? Now there might be a number of answers that we could give. But one of the things that literally leaps off the pages as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the fact that Jesus demonstrated servant leadership, didn't He? Jesus demonstrated day in and day out what it meant to be a leader. And not just a leader, but a servant leader. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. In John chapter 13, when Jesus took a basin of water and a towel and stooped down and began to wash the disciples' feet. What was the message there? What was He trying to say to those people or to His disciples? I think what He was saying is, you've got to learn to be a servant. And today, what is it God is saying to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? It's about servanthood, isn't it? It's about learning to become a servant of the Most High God. Imagine if you can, you lived in the first century, and Jesus called you to become one of His disciples, one of His apostles. Can you imagine, can you just begin to imagine the weight of responsibility resting upon your shoulders? And the awesome honor of being one of His selected apostles, one of His special servants, 
the honor that would have come with that? Listen, we're in Christ Jesus. We are, as I said a minute ago, we are servants of the Most High God. And even though we're not apostles, we are to be servants of God. And we are working on behalf of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Paul said that we're His workmanship. We have been created for a purpose. That purpose is to engage in good works. So I want to ask you today, as you think about your Christian life, have you bought in to servanthood? Are you willing to be a servant of God day in and day out? You're one of the real problems I think we face in the church today is a lack of what I call all-in mentality. Go back and look at the apostles. Do you think they were all-in? In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Christ, you go back and you look at the persecution that swept the early church, and yet here are Peter and John, and they're saying we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. I mean, these guys, they were filled with zeal, weren't they? They were engaging in the work of the Lord. Go back and look at Joshua chapter 1. Brother Billy talked about it this morning. When the children of Israel, they're about to go in and take the promised land. And they said, whatever you command us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we will go. That's the heart of a servant right there. That's what we need today. What about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah saw God sitting upon His throne, the second member of the Godhead, the Christ. When he saw Him sitting upon that throne, and he heard the words, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Remember what Isaiah said? Here am I, send me. That's the heart of a servant. That's what we need in the church today. We need people who are looking for opportunities to serve and not reasons not to serve. We've got to buy in. We've got to decide whether or not we're going to be a servant of the Most High God. And if we're going to be a servant of the Most High God, we've got to be effective. Paul in Romans chapter 12 said that we're to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Are you all in? Listen to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is that you? The kingdom come before anything else in your life? Are you giving God everything you have to give Him? Look, that's not up for me to decide. But it is up to you. Are you putting the Lord first in your life? One of the real menaces in the church today is what I would call mediocrity. We're good with average, just being a member. Listen, you go back and you read about the early church. The early church was not a worshiping society. Now, I'm not saying that worship is not important. It is. But the bulk of Christian living is engaged outside of worship, isn't it? You think about all the time that you have through the week. We're here maybe three, four, five hours a week. But we're in the world the bulk of the time, aren't we? 
And so the bulk of the Christian life is engaged in, or to be engaged in, good works. When the Apostle Paul wrote Titus, in Titus chapter 2, he said in verse 14 that we are to be zealous for good works. In chapter 2, or rather chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said you need to be ready unto every good work. Are you ready? Are you ready to do what you can to exalt the name of Christ in this community? Have you really bought in to the work of the church and what God wants you to be doing? Have you bought in? If you're not involved, you haven't bought in. If you're not putting Him first, you haven't bought in. If you're not serving the Lord and finding some way to serve Him outside of worship, you hadn't bought in. What God wants, God wants people who are not interested in being mediocre members. God wants zealous members of the body of Christ, folks that are on fire. You know why the early church grew in the first century? Because those folks had a message that they had to share. Let me tell you what, if we could somehow capture the passion that we have for SEC football in the church, we would turn the world upside down. We've got more passion for SEC football in many cases than we do the cause of Christ. We'll miss a Lord's Day so we could be at a game or so that we might sit home and watch a game. Let me tell you what, that, my friend, is sinful. That's wrong. You can't do that. You know what it says? It tells people where your allegiance lies. The menace of mediocrity. Paul said that we are supposed to be engaging in good works. Look, that's what God designed. We need today, we need hands, we need legs, we need ears, we need eyes, we need mouths. Why? Because we are God's people. If the work of the church is going to be done, it's going to fall upon our shoulders. It can't be done if we won't do it. So I want to ask you a question today. How would you rate your Christianity? Let's just say you're standing before God right now. You don't have to give an account to me for how you live. You don't have to give me an explanation of what you do or don't do. But I can tell you this. One day you will stand before King Jesus and you will give an account to Him and you will answer to Him whether or not you have been what you ought to have been in the body of Christ. Now listen to what Paul said. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm not a counselor, but I can listen to people. I can tell them what the Bible says. Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. I'm not a cook, but I can buy a meal and take it to somebody. Paul said that we are to render aid to the fatherless and widows. Those are things that we can do. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You might not be a preacher, but you can give somebody a tract. You can give them a CD. You can simply say to them, come to services with me. You'd be surprised at the number of folks that might take you up on that.
There was a man that passed away about a month ago that made an immeasurable difference in my life. Probably, in my estimation, one of the greatest preachers in the 20th century. He didn't grow up in the church, nor did his wife. But when he was just a young fella, he was working at a place in North Georgia. There's a fellow that worked with him that would say every week, James, come go to church with me. And finally, James said, I'll go if you'll quit asking me. And he said, well, I'm happy that you'll come with me, but I can't tell you that I won't continue to ask. That man and his wife attended services his wife heard something that she liked. They both became New Testament Christians. That man probably preached for some 70 years before passing into eternity. His name, James Watkins. He was a great evangelist. But it all started with somebody just taking the time to say, come to church, come go with me. You can do that, can't you? In closing today, listen, we've been saved, but we have been saved to serve. Maybe you've been saved, but you're not serving. I want to encourage you today, reflect upon where you are as a Christian. Look, we need you. God needs you. The church here, we need you. As I said a minute ago, we're going to meet tomorrow night. That's an opportunity for you to serve the Lord. Maybe you can't come, as I said a minute ago, every week. Come when you can. There are lots of things that go on behind the scenes, going on, on a daily basis, that none of us know anything about. And I'm grateful for that. But please, think about your contribution to the cause of Christ. Live according to the words of Paul. Be zealous of good works. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? To understand that God sent His only Son to die for your sins. Without His blood, you'll be lost. His cleansing blood will make the difference in your life. What would you need to do? Repent of your sins. Be baptized into Christ. According to what Peter said, Acts 2 verse 38, God will put you in the church. And then as a member of the body of Christ, you can serve Him, can't you? Find your niche and get to work. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe you have not been engaged, but rather you've been disengaged. God needs you to be all in. Not halfway in, but all in. If you're not all in, could we encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life and live for God as we stand and sing?